Hi, this is Ian Strimbeck of Rune Nation, and you're listening to the Blue Coyote Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Blue Coyote Podcast. I'm here today with Ian Strimbeck of Rune Nation LLC. How are you doing today, bro? Great, man. How about you? Doing well. Doing well. So, um, yeah, so Ian is the founder, CEO of Rune Nation. Um, it's a company out of New Hampshire, something that you created. Um, so do you want to just tell us a little bit about what it is you do and how that kind of came to be? Sure. So Rune Nation is a consulting and education company that primarily focuses on the uh, growth of the student or the individual, uh, specifically in the context of personal protection. And I kind of my ideal on things or, or, or concept is to be a jack of all trades and a master of none. So it's not just about um, you know, having quality marksmanship with a firearm or u- utilization of a blade or grappling or athleticism or medical knowledge or even how to talk to somebody on the street. It's about all those and it's dependent on your desire to uh, continue education in all those realms uh, because too many people, especially within the, the primary domain space of firearm ownership and firearm education it's really one track minded and i feel like it's so much more than just uh, teaching people how to press a trigger or align their sights or how to have a good grip on the gun it's about so much more from a macro perspective and that's kind of what i focus on primarily yeah man that makes sense i've um so people know we've been training jujitsu together for a while now i've been in there a few months yeah and um and yeah, so I've got to see some of that with the, uh, you know, primarily like the blade training. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a really awesome thing. And we can uh, get into all the different aspects of that. So sure. would you say 
was it something like early on in your life, you know, because I got like a sense of what it is you do. And then all those different aspects that you're talking about, I'm like, okay, I kind of saw that, like you really did blend that together. Mm -hmm. So is this something that seems like something that is developed over a lifetime? So would you say that's true? Like from the, from your early days, you kind of saw this playing out? Yeah. I mean, when I first started getting uh, my my feet wet, so to speak, in regards to starting to teach people or teach others, um, I never honestly saw it or I never really even had a hard definitive focus as to doing this full time. I just knew that I enjoyed teaching people and making people better uh, because I myself as a... Uh, as a as a child, I'm I was the polar opposite of who I am now. I was, uh, you know, I had a stuttering problem. I was a very uh, not weak child, but I I was an only child, and I didn't do traditional sports. You know, I never played baseball, as we talked about before. My my dad used to do semi to professional level cross country mountain bike racing, so that was kind of the the main focus, and that was kind of a strange thing for a kid to do in the 90s. You know, if you don't do baseball or football or whatever, you're you're kind of ostracized, and that's just the way that it is. Uh, So, and I never really did really uh, any martial arts either, and when I did, I didn't really enjoy it. Uh, And then I was basically forced into that direction when I made the definitive choice to join the military. Um, it was something that I, I had always wanted to do, uh, and again, as we talked about, how my dad used to work at General Electric, so I was kind of I always kind of grew up around the the military, but more like aircraft side of things. Uh, so I was kind of always drawn to the military just because of that from being a kid. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, I figured that if I'm going to do any type of ser- uh, service in the military, I might as well, in in my mind, at at the at the point in time of a seven, 16, 17 year old kid with the hardest service, which was the Marine Corps, so I decided to do the Marine Corps, and I you know signed up at seventeen. My my mom had to basically you know sign a waiver because I was I wasn't a legal adult yet, but she supported me, so she did that, and I left for boot camp ten days after I graduated high school, and that kind of uh, molded me into the person who I am today, for better or for worse. And, uh, I, and, and as I talked about, I never, you know, I was an only child, so I didn't have any siblings. So when I got to the military and I had, uh, you know, the, my, my leadership who I, who I looked up to, they, they were the kind of role model and they more or less, uh, like I said, helped mold me into who I am today. And after I got out, I still had that, I guess that subconscious desire or urge to, better people because in my opinion nobody ever has the right to take something something from you um unwillingly and you know that happened to me as a kid so I never wanted that feeling on anybody else so my whole goal is to create more confident individuals at the end of the day because oh I know over my you know about 10 years of teaching for counting time I taught part-time when I still had a full-time job um, probably the most unconfident people that I've ever met, surprisingly, are gun owners. Uh, because they're so reliant on this tool that it's going to somehow magically make the bad, bad, bad guy go away like some kind of a magical talisman. 
And I can tell you it's much more than that. And I always tell people, regardless if they're in a seminar with me, uh, that involves, you know, firearm-related stuff, that it should be your last option. Like, if you're there, like, you messed up. You didn't see the threat ahead of time. You didn't, uh, you know, notice the pre-assault cues. You were, you know, not recognizing your environment as a whole. And, and you know, and, and that's not to say that people who are involved in um, de- deadly force or le- uh, lethal force altercations put, you know, put themselves there willingly. But a lot of times... Uh, people do so because they're uh, insecure about their other so-called skills that should be used instead. And again, de-escalation, verbalization with the person. If, if I don't have to go to my gun and I can go back to my family at the end of the day and sleep in my own bed and not have to deal with the 12 months or so or legal, of legal recourse involved of, of pressing that trigger, then that's a win for me. So that's kind of the paradox of, of what I teach. I teach people to prepare for the moment of the worst day of their lives that they hope they never have to go to. Say there is, you are do find yourself yeah. in a situation, like basically the worst case scenario that you're talking about trying to avoid. But that's something that I saw was, you know, verbal acuity. So I guess that would be the first step to de-escalating yes. a situation. Could you give us a rundown on maybe what that looks like? Like say I, I mean, I guess I get the scenario, like I just come, come up to you, I'm, you know, kind of, Sketchy asking for a cigarette, like you've said in class. What is the, what's the go-to? How does that work? Sure, yeah. And all of this, you know, uh, most of this material I'm about to explain, I always give credit where credit is due, and this was originally shown and explained to me by uh, a dear friend and mentor of mine in in this space uh, named Craig Douglas. He owns a company called Shivworks, and in my opinion, he is the subject matter expert when it comes to fighting within two arms reach, okay, in that, as he calls, bad breath distance, you know. Um, he's, he spent a, a lot of time as a law enforcement officer as well as um, doing undercover drug buys, so he has a lot of material and knowledge within that space, and one of the courses that um, I, I took I took as a student, I recommend every, every student to take outside of uh, basically any class in general, they can get hands on it at this point, is his flagship course, which is called ECQC, or Extreme Close Quarters Concepts. It's about two and a half days of fighting within that uh, two arms region. The first portion he talks about is this is this verbal acuity, verbal agility, verbal judo, whatever terminology yeah. you want to use. And uh, basically you want to engage with this individual in a manner that's not going to escalate the scenario, but not being too passive that they take advantage of that, right? Because as, uh, as the late William April, another uh, friend of mine, has said, they are violent criminal actors, and they are apex predators, just like apex predators in the African savanna. They want the most amount of calories for the least amount of effort. So they can use some type of ruse or some type of, um, you know, some type of verbal verbal judo on their own accord to engage with you and make you feel safe and get within that distance and and, and use that encroachment and and get on top of you, then that's going to be a win for them because they're already one step closer to their desired end result, whether it be your watch, your wallet, your keys, or sometimes even your life. And that's completely dependent on that that individual and what what their motive is right so the first thing as i said is you want to uh you know acknowledge 
well, not acknowledge per se, but you, you want to en- engage with them and especially make eye contact because that's an instant tell for them that they're that you are the type of individual that they can um, get whatever they need out of, right? So by you making eye contact and telling them, hey, man, you mind just staying where you are? Yep, I can get you that cigarette, but I just need you to hold up where you're at. Especially now with COVID, it's even an easier excuse, right? You can be like, hey, I'm, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I have a very low immune system or I just got, you know, the vaccine or whatever it is to, to hold them at bay uh, to just give you that distance is a best case scenario, you know, like, I, you know, I, 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 I have anxiety. I, I don't like people near me. Can I just hold up there for a second? So I'm, I'm, I'm not like, Hey, how can I help you? And by saying that right. per se, you're inviting them into your personal space. Right. Like you're not exactly, you're not addressing anything about them or coming yes. at them, but you are showing that you're firm, but also like screaming rude. at them, like, Hey, stay where you are you know, making a scene, right. it's probably going to escalate the situation. So you kind of need to find a middle ground where you're being polite in a manner that's telling them exactly what you want them to do. And still acknowledging like, hey, I can still help you, but I just need you to do what I'm asking for right now. Like I can get you the time. That's really what you want. I can yeah. get you, you know, a cigarette. That's what you really want. But I just need you to, you know, just stay right there for me. And then... If that doesn't work, then there's another escalation of steps you can go to, which obviously, you know, starts with the verbalization, then goes to, you know, if they do close the gap, now you have to go hands on what type of, um, you know, uh, let's say offensive measures that you can use. And then from there, it gets to being in the clinch. And then from the clinch, does it end up going into a lethal force type thing? So, like, just because, like, say you and I train grappling and, and jiu-jitsu or especially jiu-jitsu within, which involves a lot of groundwork like i don't i don't want to have to go there like i, right. I don't even want to get into a, a standing clinch with somebody forget about a, for, forget about a standing clinch that went to the ground now we're on the ground in the in the wet dirt asphalt whatever it yeah. is like i don't want to have to go there and if i could have prevented that by just engaging with them first or let's even take a step farther even back than the verbalization and let's just say i just had the uh, ability to remove anything that I'm fixated on in my environment, right? You see a lot of this, people in their phones, like, walking down, you know, in their yeah. keen state, and they're just, like, <laughs> hood on, and you know, uh, AirPods in and just doing whatever. Their, their, uh, their view is completely uh, narrow versus broad, right? Because they're totally hyper-focused on that, that task that they're doing right there. So by putting your eyes up and just having a general understanding of your environment, right? Not, and that's not to say you need to like, you know, be like secret squirrel and, you know, looking right. at your, you know, your, your, your 11 and two all the time or like behind you, but just having an understanding of like, Hey, that's kind of weird that that dude's walking down the street at me in the middle of July with a trench coat on and a beanie on and you sweating profusely. Like that's kind of weird. Like any, you know, any type of environmental abnormalities, like things that just don't belong there. And you'd be surprised the amount of stuff, especially when I used to work in the city in Boston. And just like the things that you see that don't belong there, but so so many people are, are just tone deaf to it. They're just like just going about their way and they're not seeing this person that... Uh, is in, in encroaching on them. Like I was in Ohio a couple of weeks ago and I was with a buddy of mine and we were getting food 
and we were finishing up, and we were watching this panhandler, and and he was harmless, you know, he was harmless to us, and when he when we were engaging with him, and he was in this parking lot, and there was a husband, a wife, and two kids, and they were getting out of their uh, SUV, and and the hood was toward the opposite direction, so basically they'd open the doors up and come, you know, to the rear of the vehicle, and the so-called husband just allowed this dude just to get within literally that 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 two arms reach gap and and you know there were cars on both sides so there's no there's nowhere to go basically if he had ill intention or ill will towards these people thankfully he didn't and you know he just asked for a change and they were like no no we're good and he, he walked off but like if that guy really wanted to get some money from him it would have just been like shooting turkey in a barrel man yeah and I'm just watching this all unfold, and I'm watching this guy from going from, you know, the rear end of the parking lot, sees them get out, and it's just like a beeline straight towards them. And the, the husband and wife are engaged in completely oblivious to this unknown person that's encroaching towards their vehicle and just allowed it to happen. And you see it happen all the time. And yeah. it's just because we as a society have become too um, comfortable or, uh, for my military buddies, uh, complacent. Just because we do live in a an age or an era where it is significantly safer, right? I like I don't have to step outside, you know, my uh, my uh, my fence line. And have to worry about getting to a skirmish with, you know, uh, some warring tribe or whatever. Yeah. Like, like it's pretty safe. Like I, if if I get a cut on my leg, I don't have to worry about going gangrene or you know right. getting some type of crazy flu or, or or whatever. You know, from the macro standpoint. Uh, but like violence is a real thing and you know whether you talk about it from a policy standpoint which with where we stand in this country you know regarding firearms uh just because you take the tool away doesn't doesn't you know mean that you're going to take away people's or the the, the human code of violence away like it's not going to happen right you know, it, we we attempted that you know when we were overseas and you know, we we didn't allow uh, people in the city we were in to, to own AKs or anything. And that's where this crazy this. You know, we first went to Iraq in the early 2000s, and then this crazy thing called IEDs started popping up that no one had ever heard of, you know? And that's because just because you take one tool away doesn't mean that someone's going to figure out another way to cause ill will if they want to. Right. Like, you you, you, you take away firearms, people are just going to figure out another way to, to harm each other or, or, or to create that violence exactly man all right man so kind of taking it back to those those scenarios right painting the picture of how all of this mm-hmm. this knowledge came to be mm-hmm. and then getting into like what your philosophy about that really is you know mm-hmm. so so say somebody just like a little advice for whoever you know the average person like what is the the diagnosis you give in that situation let's say you know you do your verbal acuity the person still comes at you mm-hmm. What's the what would you say is the best if somebody just has time to train one martial art kind of learn something what what martial art is their time best spent in what's the best martial art for self defense sure uh in very common question yeah and there really is no best martial art in my opinion uh but from a foundational baseline standpoint like what you want to build your framework off of for the other aspects of your martial arts journey would be some form of grappling, whether that be jujitsu, yeah. 
judo, sambo, can't catch can, American folk wrestling. Something that involves two bodies colliding together and trying to dominate space um, and movement and energy. And that is some form of grappling. And I mean, it's been time and tested for thousands of years. I mean, Greco-Roman wrestling like doesn't get any older or more ancient than that. And it's been in use for thousands of years. It's what everybody trained in. Even every, if you look at all across the globe, whether it be in um, you know East Asian arts or um, Southern Asian arts, or even in you know Mediterranean Greece with the Greco-Roman, right. they all had their own form of grappling. It was called a, a different term, obviously, for whatever that culture was. But it, but if you look at it in real time, it's it's two bodies colliding, trying to dominate space, energy, and time. So that's what I would look at. Now, the most commonly taught and what's going to be most available is going to be Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, but, you know, I, I have some buddies that, you know, in their area they have a Sambo place, so they do Sambo, or they have a Judo place that's, that's, uh, that, that's close by it to go to. But whatever you can get your hands on for that would be good. And the reason for this is because there was an incident it was right before I left doing door work in Boston and, and moved up to New Hampshire that we had a, a little bit of an unruly customer, you know, had a little too many, you know, close oh, yeah. lights. And know, gets, yeah. He's a stereotypical North End Bostoner, you know, like five foot five, all, all full, full of put piss and vinegar, you know. <laughs> and we finally get him outside the door and he starts bashing on the door with his bare hands and, and doors glass. We don't want him to a, injure the property or injure himself. So we open the door. He goes for his waistline. Um, the other guy that I was working with just kind of love tapped him. It wasn't like a full-on jab. It was just kind of just like a, hey, back off. But he was so drunk that he tripped over himself and ended up you know, smashing his head off the pavement. And if instead of throwing the jab, going out there and getting control first, you know, would have gave you a better option. Because if all you know is striking, like people always ask, like, what's the, instead of what's the best martial, like, what's the deadliest, right? Yeah. I would say the the most deadliest or dangerous person that you're going to encounter on the street is a high-level striker, like whether it be somebody that really is good at boxing or somebody that's really good at Muay Thai, because if all you know for the most part is striking, which is primarily done at 100%, right? You can't like flow, I mean, you can, I guess, flow roll boxing or striking, uh, but most people are going to throttle up to that 100%, you know, when if they're engaged, you know, deal with Daniel and with somebody on the street. So if you, like, a really good strike and you clip somebody in the temple, the jawline, you knock them out cold and they smash their head off the pavement, like, you could very easily give that person TBI or, you know, spinal injury or, 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 or whatever else. But if you have some type of grappling, instead of having a switch, like a light, you have a dimmer. So you're able yeah. to throttle up or throttle down depending on your opponent. And again, that's not to say that it can't be done from a striking standpoint, but you have a lot more ability to use that dimmer grappling than you do striking. If that kind yeah. of makes sense. No, that right? makes that makes because sense. Because I'm not going to just like love tap somebody, you know, with, with 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 like a jab. However, I can throttle in my ability to put in a choke 
or or get an armbar dependent on right. what that individual because you just doing. have to get to that position and then yes. you can control it. But once you throw the punch, that hundred yes. percent is gone. Yes. Like you already yeah. hit them. Yeah. And and then even better if I have ability to get a, a a foundation of grappling and then I add on striking after, then I start doing some you know Muay Thai or boxing or whatever it is. Now if the situation is grim and I do have to go you know throttle up to a hundred, now I have control and now I can throw in my 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 well done strikes right if you have to do it if you have to right but bill you, you have options and, and and too many options isn't necessarily a good thing either like a lot of the big cliche term in in the gun space is you know just another tool for the toolbox and i absolutely hate hate that term um a because it's overused but b uh, because if that if you're being really true that statement you know why do you need five different screwdrivers if they're all the same and right. just adding another tool isn't necessarily a good thing. However, in regards to options of your escalation, in regards to leading to that lethal force, is better. Now, having like five different techniques to do something probably isn't the best because your brain's going to search for that, obviously, That's in that, what, right. under duress. So having that, that one time and tested technique that you you know have drilled a, a thousand times you know as it's been said don't fear the person that has done a thousand techniques fear the person that's done a thousand uh, you know a one technique, technique a thousand yeah. times same yeah. the same type of thing applies so um uh, to answer your original question i would say for that person to do some type of grappling for sure yeah it, and it's really gonna uh kill the ego so to speak as as i'm sure you've right. experienced as well you know you, you think one thing and then you go in there and just get dominated by somebody that's half your size or somebody exactly. that you perceive isn't as strong as you just by aesthetics alone and then you get absolutely destroyed yeah and that's either going to break you or make you want to come back for more right. and typically the people that it breaks aren't the people that i would want on the mats with me anyway yeah yeah no it makes sense yeah no um there's a lot to get to but i guess that would also like that obviously takes uh, size, strength, and speed out of the equation more mm-hmm. when it's just grappling as opposed to all the variables and the yes. striking. Um, anyway, man, yeah, because I want to hear about or just give like the audience because you know it's a podcast where we it's like truth seeking and philosophy, but also like supporting entrepreneurs yeah, and finding absolutely. out about that. So, yeah, just but I do want to know. So, you sounds like growing up, this isn't you know, you're you're biking, it's pretty chill, yeah, and um. But then, so you go to the military, mm-hmm. and that's where all of this starts. Yes, and, and, and that's where, as I said, it kind of changed me into the person that I am today. Um, that kind of right. forced me into a want to do something of my own volition once I left the military. Like, I, I was... I was pretty much uh, kind of the black sheep when I was in when I was in the service just because I did ask a lot of questions and I was truth-seeking and um, I always wanted to know the why and at least where I was, uh, the unit that, that, that I was with or the mindset of the leadership that I had in place, they weren't too big a fan of asking the why. I don't it think they would be, no. It was no. just do it this way, this is the way we've always done it and that kind of... Kind of left a bad taste in my mouth and left me kind of jaded when I when I left the military. Uh, but I always wanted to, for me, be able to support myself or in this case myself and my family on my own and not have to answer to somebody else per se. And and, and not not out of ego or greed or anything like that. Just out of the fact that I feel that there's a lot of 
anxiety-ridden and depressed people in this country because people are doing things that they don't want to live a lifestyle that they really don't even need. So they're trying to impress people that don't give... Can I, can I ask where on the show? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That don't give a shit about, uh, you know, their 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 cars or their house, but they think that they do, so they try to impress these people that really don't care about them. And and that's just kind of like the era that we live in. And, and for me, with the job that I do, like, I, I, I completely understand that I'll never be, you know, millionaire or driving around in a, in a band's driving mansion, but I'm perfectly okay with that. Like, if I'm able to... Yeah do what I love every day, support my family, have a roof over my head, train jujitsu three days a week and, and, and still make it work. Then like, that's a win for me. Uh, and the obvious big, biggest factor is also being able to reach out to people all across, uh, the country. And as I said earlier, make them more confident individuals. Yeah. You know, I definitely, I can, um, I can relate to all of that, man, because like this whole my kind of creative journey started with um, I started like rapping when I was a teenager. Right? Yeah. And, you know, I love, you know, I still understand that I love to write music and create and express in that way. But there was definitely I can relate to a lot of what you said about growing up, too. So I definitely had a mindset of like, OK, I'll be rich one day and then fuck everybody. You know, the typical yeah. gets so, so corny. But oh, like, yeah. but you know, you we go down that path of truth seeking and you come to that understanding of success is, you know, having what you need and being happy. So I yes. definitely relate to that now and want to use that passion to support, help others create and support and then take care of what I need to take care of. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, so, so I was, I was in the military from, um, 2006 to 2010 and, uh, spent some time well where I was stationed was down at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina in Jacksonville it's uh, on the eastern coast about two hours from uh, Myrtle Beach and I uh, spent some time overseas from 07 to 08 and then all over the Mediterranean 09 got out in 2010 uh, came back home went to college uh, got my bachelor's in communication with a concentration in journalism and a minor in psychology and while I was doing that, I also worked for an exec protection firm out of the greater Boston area. Uh, we worked with uh, international dignitaries, VIPs, celebrities that were visiting the city, that sort of thing. Oh, so like security? Yes. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. It's all coming together. Suits yeah. The, yeah. The, the whole nine yards. And uh, I also uh, did stereotypical door work at less desirable bars in Boston. So I yeah. opened my eyes to the normalcy of criminal interaction, how fast and how violence, how violent things can occur in a very small compromised space. And uh, I started then teaching for a locally based uh, firearms company and did, did that for a number of years as their cadre, taught under them. Then I graduated college, moved up to New Hampshire, taught under another locally based company as their cadre, teaching under them. And then finally in 2017, I was doing a you know full-time job and teaching on the side and it kind of came to a tipping point where I had the opportunity to uh, to to get out there and make a name for myself and had to make that you know de defining moment to give you know, that infamous two-week notice and yeah not look back and that and that's um, what I did in 2017 and been doing it ever since and the the fear and the terror of having to go back to another job, it honestly is what makes me want to do it every day. Yeah. Uh, regardless of trying to deal with traveling and the 
the absolute nightmare of that is called airports and <laughs> dealing with all the unknowns and, you know, making sure that I got a rental car they're waiting for me, making sure that um, students are going to sign up for a class because the big issue now is um, trying to source ammunition. Ammunition prices have gone significantly up and um, they've been more difficult to find. It's starting to balance itself out now, but uh, in, the, in the beginning portion of the year, it was it was it was trying that it was pretty difficult trying to navigate the space because obviously to do what I do it, uh, and to, to teach what I want to teach, the you know the students on themselves need to bring you know X amount of ammo with them for the class, and if they can't source the ammo, then they're not going to buy the class. Right. So. Uh, it's been, like I said, difficult to navigate, but we're still here. We're we're still moving. I have classes right now out till December, or seminars out till December, and then uh, I think I already have five out for twenty two already. So that's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really that's the goal for so many people, mm-hmm. you know. So what was you just so you built yourself up to a place where you could put in the two weeks and then mm-hmm. just go from there? Yeah, it was actually. Um, it was actually my my wife who actually kind of put me on the spot, <clears throat> and she said, uh, "You either want to be a locally known teacher, or you want to uh, quit your job and do this full time." So she kind of, you know, yeah. gave me the extra kind of push there to step into that void of the unknown uh, right. because it, you know, for anyone who hasn't experienced it, um, it's the it's the scariest and uh, happiest moment. Uh, that I think I could ever imagine, you know, Yeah. outside of, uh, for all the dads out there for, you know, seeing your child being born. But outside of that is, uh, you know, giving that notice and not knowing what lies ahead. Like I, I mean, I had a pretty good idea of what was going to happen when I, when I gave that notice, but to see where it's was then to where it is now, um, I, I, I would have never guessed that. Yeah. And, and I'm super grateful for it every single day. You, but forming all of those skills, mm-hmm. the whole mindset that you have, you learned it in the military and then you get out and go to Boston or did you learn it, did you start martial arts more so afterwards? Uh, so the the defining moment for jiu-jitsu actually was again going back to who I referenced earlier with uh, Craig from Shivworks when I took right. the first iteration of the, my ECQC. And I remember, you know, as a young kid, you know, I think I was only maybe 23, 24 at that point, right after I left the military. And I was a Marine. I did some blade work training. I thought I was going to be all right. And then I got into, uh, Craig calls them evolutions. So a lot of the, a lot of, well, actually the entirety of the class outside the live fire that you do is with these big, uh, they're called, Fist helmets, really. So that's what he used to use. His company called Fist Helmets, and they're basically these big protective helmets with a clear face shield. And he brings um, specialized handguns that look like Glocks, but they shoot these things called simunitions, which are essentially high-speed paintballs. They right. really hurt. You really know you've been hit. So you so you load them just like you would with real rounds, but it has a, a paint tip on the actual round. So a lot of the a majority of the evolutions involves some form of one person with the sim gun and one guy with not. Uh, the one of the final evolutions you do on day two is a two on one evolution, where basically you're the good guy. You have an unknown person approach you. You have to engage in them with verbal acuity, 
and that person can either you know be benign as and not do anything or he can go full on you know full you know fifth gear and start yeah. throwing bows at you it's completely dictated by um the student that's why it's in an in evolution per se and then craig has a test second guy in tow um, that doesn't come into play until he lets go of his wrist. And again, that guy can play off of him, or he can come to your assistance, or he can just be benign and be like, oh, yeah, I'm t- you know, yeah. Pretend, pretend he's taking pictures or a video or whatever of, of the fight and soon, like, oh, world star, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was a two-on-one a- evolution. I dealt with the first guy, not not as well, but still managed him. And then the second guy came in. And I get taken to the ground, and and this at this point I've never done any form of grappling. I never wrestled in high school, very limited amount in the Marine Corps, and just getting handled yeah. per se. And the turf that he used to teach at it was basically like all sand too. So it's just like sand all up in the mass, sand all over your body. You know, they, they can basically they can pretty much like slap the helmet to simulate like elbows or strikes yeah. basically. And the, the helmet's pretty claustrophobic. So not only is it claustrophobic, but you, you know your breath's getting on the clear face shield, so it's fogging up. You got sand coming everywhere. You got two guys on top. You're just absolute chaos. And then uh, he feels where I have my blade trainer. It's like a, it's, it's it's just like a dull metal trainer, basically. It, it's it's more that you know I, I wouldn't if I was able to access it, I wouldn't be like throwing 100. percent It was more it would mean be more just show that I'm I'm using it type of thing to to Craig. And I feel him go for it. He unsheaths my trainer and starts plugging it into my rib cage, and that was the defining moment of after it was all said and done. And obviously, I'm dead at this point. Yeah. That I had to like compose myself and go off to a corner and be like, "All right, you need to fix this," because that was terrifying. Because that was a very it was a very realistic scenario that could happen. And the more stuff you have on you, the more stuff that can be used by the other person, right? Because especially again. In the in the gun space, the gun purists, as I say, that you know have the they have the primary gun, they got their backup gun, they got three mags, they got two flashlights, they got you know three blades, and it's like that's cool, man. But if you don't know how to retain any of that, and you right. get knocked to the ground, people just start stripping all that off you, dude. You're in, you're in for a bad day. Oh, that's ugly. Um, so that was when I was like, I need to fix this, and that's when I sought out uh, jujitsu and I started um, at a place in, in in near Salem, Mass, called uh, North Shore. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. That's where I started, and I uh, was there for four years, and then I moved up to. Um, actually, I was there for yeah three years, and I moved up to here, and that's where I've been since. So basically, sometimes has to take for complete chaos for you to kind of open your eyes to things. Yeah. Right. Once you are actually in that, in that situation, and mm-hmm. you right, and like like you said, it's better to know because even just from what we've done in class a bit, like already that um. Like the head shield, like that just makes sense, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I can see. It's very simple, like in yes. the simplest, kind of like Occam's razor, you know? Yes. It's like, boom. What would you say? So I get that the goal of, um, maybe we just get into some of like the philosophies, kind of the bigger picture stuff of, mm-hmm. um, you know, of what Rude Nation stands for, because, you know, it's building confident. Well, what would you say is the ultimate, the ultimate goal of Rude Nation? Because you're building confidence, but. Like, knowing some of what we've talked about, it probably goes beyond that a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, for for me, per se, um, and I'm completely blanking on the person who originally said it, so if someone out there knows who said this, feel, I'll look it up. F- feel free. Yeah. Um, 
the most terrifying moment for me is uh, for my second death to occur. So, so there was a uh, philosopher that had an idea of the first. You have, a, you, you have two deaths. You have your first death and your second death. Your first death is of the body, and then your second death is when someone utters your name for the last time. So for me, it's to give people confidence, but for them to, I guess, tell the stories and, and pass it down in, in their family. So for, for me, people think it's just a shooting class. But for me, if I can have people shoot and move, deal with malfunctions, you know, deal with cognitive processing drills in the class, and they are stressing about that, you know, that meeting they have to do on Monday at, at, at the job, it's going to be a cakewalk because I put them through every type of mental and physical stressor in this class in a safe learning environment. And yes, it's confidence for shooting, but confidence literally just will spill over into every other aspect of your life, whether it be in business, whether it be with your family, whether it be uh, with your level of fitness. Like I've had guys that have messaged me that have said, hey, you know, um, I started reading your stuff. And I had to end up going to the hospital because I was extremely unhealthy and overweight. And because of stuff that you put out, um, you know, I started getting back into the gym. I've, you know, started this diet. I'm, I'm, I'm healthy now. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm out of the hospital. Like, things like that. And a lot of stuff that I put out, as you see, it really isn't like shooting technique related. Right. Like you go over that in, in the seminars and, and, and that's all well and good. But I just feel like there's so much more to life than it comes to just shooting or or anything else because you you do need to have a, a fully developed um, mindset on things and mindset is another kind of overused kind of buzzword a lot yeah. of times but your mental development is going to uh, make or break in my opinion the overall success in your life and we can learn a lot from you know, poets and, and, and philosophers if we're open-minded to it. And some of it is pretty deep. And, you know, I've read some books where I've had to, you know, like read the passage like three or four times to try to understand what they're saying. Uh, but I feel like because of that, because of how uh, big it is in my life, it's naturally and organically kind of spilled over to uh, my idea of, of coaching and teaching. And I'm I'm truly thankful for that because I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from it um again whether it be you know people getting back in the gym or i've had one student that uh it wasn't even a grappling class but i just talked about it in class you know about the benefits of jiu-jitsu and this and that and use them at in examples to to apply to the drill and he ended up uh getting himself and his whole family his wife and his kids to start jiu-jitsu that's amazing yeah uh, yeah and i saw him yeah. for the first time uh since last year so this is a year had passed, and he said he loves it, and he goes like two to three days a week, and um, and, and I think that's great. You know, if um, if if I can say you know a, a word to you or, or give an example of something in in our seminars that kind of has that light bulb moment, um, that's awesome, and and that's why I I try to constantly uh, change things or, or or get better examples or constantly read to to get light bulb moments for myself. And for, for me, it, it actually originally started when I first started uh, reading Stoicism, and then it just kind of went off from there, and then it got, got into Thoreau and you know right. C.S. Lewis and all the greats, and um, yeah, I'm just I'm just truly grateful for it for sure. Definitely, man. Those um, 
Yeah, it's amazing. The those philosophers. I was watching something of yours, the Fireside Chats. Mm-hmm. Are you reading from books like that, or those, is that stuff that you wrote? That's actually stuff that I've read, uh, uh, written. Yeah, that you've written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's awesome, dude. Yeah, uh, writing's always been a a passion of mine. Um, I never really thought about putting real effort into it until I left the military and. Uh, you know, I used to GI Bill, so I was like, free college ride, sure, I'll, you know, go to, you know, be a journal, uh, yeah. a, a, a journalist, whatever. And after I got out, I, I did some writing for, like, online blogs and things of that nature, but only took up until, I think, 2019, I had my first physical article written in a magazine called Skillset, uh, which is a very... It's, it's a small pu- publication out of the Southwest, and they do only publications quarterly, uh, but uh, it, it was really cool to kind of see something, you know, physical in, in yeah. print that, that is of yours. And, yeah, it, it's always been um, something that I actually enjoy writing more than I do, like, like speaking. I would actually say the same for myself. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just because you I mean, can compile your thoughts better. Yeah. And especially when I get, like, on a, a tangent, depending what um, I'm listening to or I'm doing or how focused I am... You know, I can just, like, spit out, like, two pages, like, within 15 minutes. And then right. there's some days where, you know, it takes me, like, an hour just to write, like, a paragraph. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's something that, that's always uh, been uh, a kind of desire of mine. And then when uh, beginning of 2020 happened, all that craziness happened, and I didn't know, like I said, what was going to happen with teaching, I started writing these digital discourses which are on my site it's basically uh, a digital download and they're kind of little excerpts that i've uh written goal is to eventually put it in print um like a couple of my other friends have which uh, that's kind of the end goal i would love to have like a little physical zine so to speak yeah, uh, but, but but for right now it's it's a it's a it's a digital entity and i think i have about three of them um, it was just kind of my, my thoughts as to what was, you know, currently happening in the world and things of that nature. And just because I had a, you know, I had some extra time that I normally do where I would be teaching to kind of sit back and compile my thoughts. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So when you, you were overseas for a few years, did mm-hmm. you, you and the, when you were in the Marines, you guys saw combat and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we were in the Al Qaim region of Iraq um, in 07. Definitely was not as hot, so to speak, as it was in previous years, 05, 06. You know, pretty much 03 to 06, it was it was um, it was going off in Iraq. Yeah. So as I and my unit was getting over there, it was starting to slow down a bit. Um, but you know, you still had the threat of it was it was mostly threat of IEDs and finding caches of weapons like that sort of thing. Just trying to hold presence in the area, just to be like, hey, we're still here. Like, don't do anything stupid, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and when I got out of the service, which was around 2010, this was kind of before, as I call the the surge of natural options within the veteran space like when you got out you know in the early 2000s it was like oh you know you got some anxiety depression here here's some you know here here's some prescription you know and, and VA would just be dosing it out just dosing it out and you have all these guys just hopped up on you know oxys or whatever else it may be you know um, 
SSRIs, just like a, com a complete zombie of their former selves, basically. <clears throat> and they're wondering why they put on weight and they have no sex drive and all these other negative side effects that no one wants to talk right. about. And uh, then, I, I forget what year it was, probably, you know, it was probably 2017, 2018 is when I first saw or heard about this company called Uncana, which is who I work with uh, with CBD and, and work with as in getting the word out is my buddy Kobe. Um, he owns his company on Canada. It's a veteran-owned company, and they produce hemp-derived CBD, and they're based out of Colorado, and they were the first veteran company in the veteran space that offered that, and it was, you know, very taboo when they first came out, you know, because, <laughs> like, you know, veterans, you don't associate, you know, cannabis or CBD with that. Yeah. Uh, but there's just undeniable positive results that come out of that. And he had to, you know, fight, you know, uh, fight his way through it with, you know, uh, technical difficulties because, you know, the the bank's federally insured and, you know, the federal doesn't support cannabis. So trying to, you know, navigate that pathway and all, you know, the, the ins and outs of that. But um, he's doing great now and um, they're, you know, supporting first responders, military um law enforcement, all, all that sort of thing. And I think it's great because it's, uh, you know, it, it removes your anxiety. It, it removes any, um, kind of jitters you may have, you know, mental ease, whatever terminology you want to use, especially inflammation. That's the biggest thing. A lot of vets, you know, we got busted up joints and knees and elbows and wrists and all that. And CBD significantly helps with that. And I, I think over the past few years, it's starting to really turn the corner, especially in the veteran space when it comes to finding more homeopathic options than relying on prescription laboratory created drugs. And I think that, you know, big farmers starting to see that, especially now with all the craziness in the world. We're now finding out right. that there were homeopathic options that would have said um, that they said uh, you know wasn't good now is good you know um, and when it when it comes to um, you know vets you have a lot of guys that are coming back now that 50 or 60 years ago wouldn't have because of the technology we've advanced with armor and things of that nature you know uh, plate carriers or uh, the way helmets are made or things of that nature how vehicles are made how they can withstand blasts but it still doesn't change especially when you're in close proximity to a blast, the, the pressure change of what happens when you're that close to it, your physical body, and how that transfers through your brain cavity. And that's why you have a lot of guys that are coming back that have severe brain trauma, um, TBI. Um, also, a lot of guys that have seen combat, ironically enough, typically have very low testosterone count because the... Um, uh, the sh shock wave—that's probably a little extreme word to use—but the but the blast when you're that close to it can affect your uh, pituitary gland, which in turn affects your testosterone levels. That's why you have a lot of guys that come back and they're all messed up. You know, they're depressed, they have anxiety, they put weight on, they have no sex drive because they go to the doctor and the, and, the, and like some of their test count is like not even like measurable how low it is, and they have to take replacement therapy. Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are things you don't hear about. No. What were you... Okay, so I just wanted to... Some questions, but the homeopathic options. Yeah. Did you mean... What exactly did you mean by that? Was that... 
I meant like, uh, so there's been a lot of good positive results with, uh, obviously, cannabis, whether it be from in a THC or a CBD okay. form, uh, whether that be the use of uh, microdosing or macrodosing psilocybin, or whether that even be uh, the, the, the use of um, in ayahuasca ceremonies. And again, this is all going to be completely dictated to the individual. I'm not saying to everybody throw your pills out and start, you know, smoking up and taking mushrooms. Like it, it's it's going to be dependent on the individual. But what I am saying is that I think too many people easily go the route of the pill because it's the that quote unquote quick fix that's going to quote fix everything. It's because we don't want to do the internal mental work. And like a lot of the results you're going to get from a homeopathic route are going to take longer and takes more effort than it is with this tiny pill. But in my opinion, what you're seeing happen a lot now is this tiny pill, whatever it may be, has a lot of disastrous cons as well that people don't talk about. Um, and and as I said, uh, with these more natural options, they are they, they can be good, but it takes a lot of internal work for you to get maximal benefit out of it as well. Right, you have to be... Be willing to do that. You have to yeah, do the, the, the mental framework. You have to, um, you know, have that death of the ego, so to speak. Yeah, been and, there. And, yeah. and a lot of these, um, especially with, um, you know, the utilization of hallucinogenics in a safe space with a, another um, trained individual, like they've been doing a lot of research up, I think, in Canada with psychiatrists actually um, either... Um, uh, macro dosing their patients with psilocybin under a controlled environment in a controlled environment and they're seeing significantly positive results to to a point where <clears throat> the use of micro dosing psilocybin uh, with the use of lion's mane which is another non-psychoactive mushroom has actually shown to remyelinize the neurons in your brain so if anybody doesn't know, myelin is basically a white fatty tissue that surrounds the neurons in your brain. And that's how you uh, uh, create, not habits per se, but um, how you uh, create an intuitive response or a learned response is by uh, myelining or, or uh, putting that myelin around that neuron, which is by doing something consistently, right? So if you like constantly training, going back to jujitsu, like if you like for, for me, I like doing the scissor sweep. That's my go-to. Okay? Yeah. And that's because I've trained so many times. I don't have to think about it. I know the positions because I've drilled it so many times because this is a, I guarantee you look at my brain, there's a big white fatty piece of myelin around that neuron that's going to lead to that um, motor skill, which is that scissor sweep. So what they found typically is that when you lose the, the myelin on that neuron, it can't grow back. Just like when you lose the hearing in your ears, they, they said it can't go back because there's little micro hairs in your ears called cilia. And once you are, you know, you shoot without hearing protection on or, or you're near a firework that goes off or an explosion and you get hearing loss, it's because those little uh, pieces of cilia fall off and they can't grow back. So they thought that was the same thing with the... Uh, neurons in your or the myelin in your brain, but what they found with the, uh, consistent use of microdosing, that's actually found to slowly start to remyelin that neuron, which has actually helped with people with Alzheimer's as well. Okay, so would it help just in general all of the myelin? 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's gonna, it's going to, uh, especially with um, the, the the use of the microdosing of the psilocybin in lion's mane, because lion's mane is a great mushroom for uh, neural and brain development, so memory kind yeah. of stuff. So stacking with that is definitely going to to uh, to help it out for sure. Um, and they've also, you know, I've had veteran friends that have gone down and done the the ayahuasca trips, you know. Um, they're originally done in South America, but there's some in the States that allow you to, to, to use it as well. And it's all done in a controlled environment. And uh, they've just, from what I've been told, just come out a completely different person for the better. And like I said, it's slowly gaining a little more traction over the past couple of years, which I think is great. Uh, and, you know, a, a great company or a great organization, should I say, that's been doing a lot of work in the veteran space with these holistic measures is uh, this page. They're on Instagram at Heroic Hearts Project. Uh, they have been doing great stuff with uh, either you know paying or uh, basically getting vets to this place um, on their own dime or not on their own dime, should I say, under the organization's dime to bring them down and do these um, ayahuasca trips or to bring them to therapy or do these uh, other sort of positive benefits instead of them just sitting in their house you know, popping off the prescription bottle and hoping it's going to work. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, it's about time, you know, it's been just, well, actually, yeah, where I wanted to go with that is, um, you know, so obviously that has been, everybody knows that that stuff has been suppressed for reasons. It all, you know, it all ties together back at the top. And I was interested when you said, um, you know, kind of coming around to the big, the deeper side of things, you're in the military and you said you were the black sheep. Yeah. So what exactly, what were the things that you were noticing? What do you mean by that? So I was a black sheep in the sense of just like, um, just doing things harder, not smarter type of thing. And that's just because, like I said, a lot of, a lot of ego in the military overall, because it is kind of like fighting for dominance, so to speak, at all times. Uh, trying to uh, um, assert yourself as a subject matter expert. So especially from a leadership role, um, I don't think they like people think, at least, and again, this doesn't, this isn't a white paintbrush. I know plenty of guys that I served with that are still in, and they went on to do great things, and they're in different units now, but the unit that I was in, they were very close-minded. They, they wanted it to be done this way. They didn't like people um, questioning as to different uh concepts or ideas sort of thing when it's very common from a uh from a you know non-specialized unit like obviously in specialized units in the military it's a different it's a whole completely different game it's all about people that think outside the box where i was it was not it was you know a line infantry unit so it was just very <laughs> very basic down and dirty sort of thing um and because of that, that's what led to me not having the desire to um, resign, to basically figure it out. I've, I've done my time. I was just so mentally shot, just dealing with um, things that you shouldn't stress about and just things that people shouldn't make stress about. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to leave that behind and uh, see if I could go back here to regular civilian life which uh, obviously I was I, I was able to a lot of guys weren't and still aren't just because they're trying to unfortunately relive their glory days um, in regards to resting on their past laurels sort of thing oh well, back in the day or 
oh, when I was in, we used to do like, that's great. And you should be proud of where you came from and, and your lineage and what molded you into the person you are today. But it's called the past for a reason because it's behind you. Yeah. And you shouldn't allow what you did in the past to define where you want to be or going in the future. Right. It's what you're doing now that's going to mold you into the person that you want to become, you know, a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years from now. Yeah, no, absolutely. I wanted to ask. So, yeah, that's kind of a big leap too. like you said you didn't do any organized sports mm-hmm. or anything like that growing up. Mm-hmm. And then the structure of the military. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us like um, we kind of have that. I don't want to say glorified. You know, I'm not putting but like that idea of what it's going to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you, you know. Yeah, like uh, both my parents were in the military, actually. And, um, yeah, my dad was in, like, uh, not like, he was in um, Panama and Iraq in the 90s. Okay. Early 90s, yeah. So, and he says, you know, similar stuff, you know, same same deal. Yeah, and... For the most part. And, I mean, I'm I'm grateful for the time that I spent in. It changed me to who I am today. I had great experiences. I had not so great experiences, but overall, um, I definitely wouldn't change it and I'd rather it be me there than somebody else unwilling to do the job you know like somebody at somebody at some point's got to do it and you know I'll I'll do it no problem whatever and but then I have the option now to um, get out do what I you know do what I get to love to do every day you know I have no complaints whatsoever and uh, and I really think it started with uh, showing myself what I was capable of by going in the service. And that's why I originally wanted to do it is to see if I could do it. My whole mindset is the last thing that I would want to do is go and leave to boot camp and then have to come back with my tail tucked between my legs saying I couldn't make it. Like I the mindset I had as an eighteen year old kid just graduated from high school, like I would I will die on that island before I come back, you know, not finishing it. And I did do it, and and you know I, I feel like a lot more pe- people overall are more capable than they give themselves credit for. They're just too scared, or they're too fearful of the opinions of other people. Going back to what we originally talked about, that's yeah, that's what I was gonna say. You um, and that's what they'll have you, they'll have us believe, right? Is mm-hmm. that you only that there's some sort of right you pick your character and you just go down the set path that they have this is the box we put you in this is the box you stay in right and i don't believe in being put in a box no absolutely not and to bring tie it also to like the entrepreneurship everybody there's so many all as many people as there are there are that many jobs yep that's what i truly believe so it's this, this illusion that they push on us like the 2020 shit all of that stuff it all comes together to create this idea that you need to outsource your the decisions that you make oh yeah and, and i mean that's just the the times that we're in where again we're just become so lazy that we apply the prime one day shipping to every other facet of life like oh well, why can't i get a black belt in a you know a month why can't i lose weight in a week why can't i you know uh you know become a better shooter in one weekend you know all, all they want is these immediate things because right. putting in the work putting in effort putting in the longevity of time is so arduous and no one wants to do arduous they just no. want things given and i'm here to tell you like that's not how life works like you are going to get out of life the amount of effort that you put into it just like how I feel, whatever you project out into the universe, you're going to get back. So if you project negativity and you project I'm a failure and I'm fat 
and I, you know, can't do it, then you're just going to get that get back that tenfold, and it's just going to be this constant cycle. Oh yeah. People, and, yeah. And, and 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 it's hard some days, you know. There's there's some days where you don't want to get out of bed and. You gotta go to the job that you hate and you know the kids are crazy and you know the money's tight but if you just maintain that composure in your breath and are able to center yourself and put out those positive aspirations no matter how ridiculous they may sound because no one you know you don't have to tell anybody you can keep it yourself you don't need to tell right. the world what your aspirations are at first and you constantly put that out i can guarantee you at some point it's going to come back and it sounds hokey and it sounds cliche and people may say, oh, it's easy, you know, it's easy for you to say that with, you know, where you are now. But I did that for years, constantly, no matter how bad the day was, no matter how much crap I had in my life, I just kept putting out those positive aspirations out into the world and eventually it came back. And, you know, there is no, like, time stamp on that. It's like, oh, well, if I put out these positive aspirations today, I'll get them back in 48 hours. Like, no, they'll, it may come back in a week, a day, a year, but at some point it will come back to you. Yeah. And it's just your willingness to endure the trivialities that life offers. Right. That's what it's about. And people don't want to endure because in, enduring something takes a lot of sometimes agony and pain along the way. I, I do feel, though, that you can control your, your, your negativity and your pessimism and even sometimes your cynicism by... Uh, willingly involving yourself in some for in some form of physical or mental pursuit. Again, going back to what we do with jujitsu, um, I think a lot of people are anxiety and depressed outside of the 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 crap they have in their life. You know, and the, the job they hate or the relationship that they don't want to leave, but also because they've become a uh, a stunted being on the couch you know they've they've stagnated they go to their job they wake up brush their teeth throw you know processed food in their mouth go to the job eat more processed food at lunch come home eat more processed food for dinner watch their reality tv show rinse and repeat until they die and it's because you know technically we don't really have to do jiu-jitsu you really don't even have to do anything physical you know, you can just literally just be a blob on the couch. I don't have to worry about trying to outrun a, a mastodon, you know, right. or I don't have to worry about, you know, at least where I live, like in the sticks. Like, I, you know, the, the chances of me having to get in a physical altercation with somebody is probably in like the negatives. Like it's like, like I probably have a better chance of getting struck by lightning sort of thing. So I really do. We even have to train self-defense. But the, the fact of the matter is that we as humans, as the species, we need to have some form of physical adversity in order to sustain that mental wellness. Whether that be, for some people, their, ther their therapy is yoga, some it's running, some it's weightlifting, some it's jujitsu. Um, some people, uh, you know, their you know, their way of doing it would be, you know, swimming or some some type of mostly physical pursuit. Like, yeah, you can you can say, you know, do chess or whatever, but still being physical, I think, is the most important part because that, that's what we thrive as human beings. If, we, if we're not being physical, that's how you get depressed. You get low, you know, testosterone count. You get all these yeah. negative after effects because we've stagnated sitting on the couch. And I feel if more people involve themselves in some type of physical pursuit, they would have an overall... Um, happier outlook on life 
And it's because, again, going back to the big circle there, because no one wants to do things that are hard or difficult because it takes effort. Exactly, man. And it all kind of, this ties it together in a way where you said in the beginning, gun owners are some of the least confident people. Mm -hmm. And what you're talking about, we're talking about here with, you have to, um, being physical, you have to be firm with yourself. You have to mm-hmm. make yourself go to jiu-jitsu. You get in the mindset, like, I'm finally in it now where I'm like, I don't know what the hell I was doing when I wasn't training jiu-jitsu and I took all that time off. But to be firm, you know, you do self-defense. And I think to be firm with other people, you have to be able to be firm with yourself mm-hmm. and make yourself do stuff. You can't stand up to your own issues demons insecurities and problems then that's not going to translate out in the world and that's where you might latch on to a handgun yeah. and stay behind that yeah you know, yeah and, of... and 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 that's where you, you end up making poor decisions and uh, i mean it also comes back to an overall kind of lack of training like the probably the biggest terrifying thing is what a lot of people don't know is that the individuals that come to my not my classes but just training in general or my, you know, uh, seminar, so to speak, is that they make up the maybe one percent of total gun owners, legal gun owners in this in this country that actually go to training. Like some will go to the certification class. Like obviously here in New Hampshire, we have constitutional carry, so you can go buy the gun, go do your background check, and technically, literally, just conceal it and just walk out the door. Like you don't even need to go through the initial certification, but. I look at it as a double-edged sword because in the states that I have talked to people, like say in Mass, Mass was super strict about uh, you had to mm-hmm. go through you know this course, then you have to apply to the chief of police and this and that. Um, but usually the mandated training is so far outdated and archaic, it applies nothing to concealed carry. But it takes so long to get approved through the government systems. That's why, like, when it finally gets approved, right. you're like, dude, that's like five, five years ago. That's super outdated. But like, oh, well, it's part of the test now. You know, you're like, well, it doesn't really apply to anything, but here's my money back to the state. You know, that's yeah. all that you're paying for it. So I think it's great that we in Maine and Vermont are all constitutional carry. Um, however, the downside is people take their rights for granted. And they're like, oh, well, I don't need to go pay for a class. You know, I can just, I've been, you know, my great-grandpappy showed me, showed me how to shoot. Yeah. Um, so I, so I view it as, yeah, it's great, but it's also your responsibility as a grown adult and a gun owner to go out there and get the training for yourself, right? right? Like no one uh, has forced you, you know, has forced a gun in your hands that you need to carry it. Like you've made that definitive choice out of your own autonomy. So if you're making that choice, then make the quality choice to also get the quality education that needs to be involved in that. Because the last thing that I want to bet my accuracy on when I need to break that shot is betting it on my ego, which has been untested because I refuse to do things that put my ego in check. Like you, you yeah. come to my, you come, you come to one of my seminars, you're going to get your ego checked real quick, and people go, "Oh, okay." Yeah. And then it's like this defining light bulb moment. Like, wow, I thought I was better than I was going to be. It's like, well, I'd rather you fail here than fail out of the confines of this range where it actually is going to matter. You know, yeah. that you're going to potentially pull that shot, doesn't go where you want to, goes in a little Susie down the street, now you're involved for the next year, and now it's considered manslaughter. Like People don't think of the big picture. They just think of the John Wick scenario right. where they're going to be the hero. Like that. That's not how it works. You know, like There's a lot of thinking beforehand, and then obviously the knowledge needed during 
and then the whole post-shooting, you know, involvement in regards to legal recourse and all the other stuff no one wants to think about. Like, it's not the Wild West. It's not like you go with a guy at high noon and you draw yeah. and, then you, and then, you know, you're the hero of your own story. Like, that's not, that's not how 2021 works. Um, so I highly suggest people to not only get out there and get the education, whether it be for me or any other, the, any other, any other of the people that I support on my page, uh, but also looking into some type of um, insurance as well. Like they do make self-defense or firearm-related insurance that um, would deal with the whole legal recourse involved if you're involved in that worst day of your life. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's um, that's well said, man. So where can um, Brew Nation LLC on Instagram? Uh, you have a website as well. Yep, it's uh, brewnationllc.com. Um, I am on... Uh, as you said, Instagram, Facebook, um, on my website as well is all of my seminars. I'm a split by, uh, I have it on a, on a calendar as well as by category on there. You'll also find I got, you know, I got merch on there. I got shirts, hats, all that sort of thing. Um, I also have been offering, uh, since COVID this concept of remote coaching, so I've been remote coached as a client from a fitness standpoint for almost four years. And I thought if it can be done with shooting, why can't it, I mean, if it can be done with fitness, why can't it be done with shooting? Yeah. Uh, so I have clients from, you know, here over in Europe that uh, want to get better if shooting from a, from a uh, distance learning standpoint. So it's a lot of uh, dry fire with the, with the handgun or whatever platform that they're using. And I'm able to, uh, you know, they video themselves. I take the video. Um, I'm able to um, slow it down and kind of do voiceover and, and critique the video and then send it back to them. And I give them programming just like you would get programming from, you know, a, a coach, um, from a fitness coach. I give uh, coaching from a shooting standpoint. So that's been pretty good as well, allowing people to uh, get training in uh, without having to go to a class or they're really tight on ammo and they can't afford, afford ammo. Um, they're able to still get uh, my eyes on their uh, level of, of, of shooting and performance yeah. or dry fire and performance, should I say. No shit. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's... Um, but yeah, I do a lot of uh, teaching around the New England area. So obviously, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm housed out of here, but I do travel all around the United States. You know, I got class, uh, seminars out in Washington and Oregon this year as well. So I travel uh, pretty much anywhere and everywhere people are willing to uh, go out there and put in the work. Yeah, man. That, that's great, dude. Um you know, it's a dream that you made happen. That's a big theme here is just going after that, getting it done. Um, I think we talked, we did talk a bit about what goes on in a class, but maybe just like a little bit more of a rundown before we wrap up. I've seen all different kinds of stuff. So Sure, yeah. So depending on the class, um, it's going to be, uh, you know, I teach uh, pistol-related stuff, rifle-related stuff, concealment-related stuff. Vehicle-related stuff. Um, I do my point-driven strategies, which is my grappling-only stuff, so basically edge weapon, defense, offense sort of thing. But you're definitely going to, we'll say, learn something, whether it be about yourself or your gear, usually a little bit of both. You thought it's going to work this way when it really doesn't. You're going to, in my opinion, build a network of friends. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people that 
have showed up. They don't know each other. By lunchtime, they're they're talking to each other. Uh, one wrapping up, they're they're joking. They're going out to dinner. And then the next year, they show up and they're like, "Hey, we created like a a network core group of guys that go out and train now." Oh yeah, that's what it's all about. Yeah, and yeah. And, and and especially you know with with the world as to how it is and the overall outlook on firearm ownership, it's good to see quality people putting out there, putting out quality work. Uh, but kind of the, the overall is we're going to start off with a baseline together. And then throughout the duration of the day, we're going to go layer by layer and keep adding things onto that until we get to the end result, what you want out of your performance. Man, that's, um, that's real. You know, that's, that's, uh, yeah, just a hell of a model. You know, I've been, um, since I like, since I found it, just kind of going through and seeing what you do, it's a, it's a really cool thing. And I think more than ever, it's important that people are getting together and doing things like that or jujitsu, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of those, um, basically in a nutshell, like it seems almost as though things are being set up for whereas we don't, where we're encouraged to not know how to take care of ourselves and handle ourselves. So it's, um, it's important that we're doing things like that. Autonomy is very important. And in an age where it's, it's all too easy to rely on your health from somebody else or to have an opinion on somebody else, it, it can get pretty dangerous. And, and my whole goal is to, as we talked about in the beginning, make people more confident, but also to um, have them define an opinion for themselves on their own accord, not relying on somebody else. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, as I say, no one is coming to save you. Yep. And I think that's what we'll call the episode. <laughs> Wrap it up there, man. And I hope you had a good, good time, bro. Absolutely, Definitely. man. It was Definitely. great. Thank, Thank you. you, man. And thumbnail real quick. <laughs>